Good morning, ZPC. So I am neither Scott Shelton, nor am I Jerry Deck. I am younger than one and much more handsome than the other. <laughs> I'll, let you I'll let you figure out which is which. If you need a hint, I'm younger than both. Um, <clears throat> we are in the middle of our Roots series. I shouldn't say middle. We are still in the early stages of our Roots series. And what we're doing is, back in August, we started a series, which we called Roots, and we're going through the Jesus Storybook Bible. So week by week, we're making our way through the Bible, and springtime next year, we'll be able to say as a church that we've made our way through most of the Bible, which I think is, is pretty cool. Um, so last week, uh, Jerry introduced us to a man named Moses, and we see Moses' run-in with God through the burning bush. And so this morning, we're going to fast forward a little bit in Moses' life to a much different situation than we found him last week. Last week, he was a shepherd and God had come to him. This week, we find him in a much different place. He's in Egypt and he's leading his people out of slavery. So this morning, we're going to look at our text. It's Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 31. So if you have your Bible or your phone or you can follow along on the screens, we're going to look at that now. Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 31. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. A pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea, 
the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Churched or not, we're all either familiar with the story or have at the very least heard of it. Moses and the crossing of the Red Sea. When we first read this story, it's difficult to focus on anything else but the, the miracle of the waters parting. It's easy to get fixated on that because it is miraculous. It's huge. It leaves us with all kinds of questions. Was it really a sea that they crossed? Maybe it was a, a little river or something. Maybe it was shallow and they were able to walk or at least just maybe wade through the water. Because how in the world could that have happened? And I'm in that boat. I'm right there. I wrestle with those questions every time I look at the story. How is that possible? And I have to be honest, things like this don't help. The Lord of hosts will do battle for us. Behold his mighty hand. before them, and he bars our way with fire. Let us go from this place. Men cannot fight against a god. Better to die in battle with a god than live in shame. Praise God and down into it! somehow you're not familiar with that movie, that is the Ten Commandments, and we all know it, and we all love it. But did you see the three women on the rocks? They were distressed, right? Um, and I, I'm, I saw, there were ducks in there. You did see those, right? I'm pretty sure those things can fly. We often focus on the miracle of the sea crossing and neglect some of the other things that are happening in the story. When we think of the Red Sea, that's what we think of. But there's so much more going on in the story. We make the story somewhat insignificant when we focus on the water. So this morning we're going to take a step back and we're going to look at some of the other pieces of this story. 
Now, last week we saw that Moses was chosen to set the Israelites free. Moses tells Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Pharaoh says no, and we know what happens next. Ten plagues, which seem to increase in severity, and they culminate in the tenth plague, the plague of the firstborn, the death of the firstborn, the Passover. And this is significant to our story this morning because I think this is the straw that kind of broke the camel's back. This is the plague that Pharaoh finally just said, that's enough, you guys get out. Take your stuff and go. Now, I want us to just real quick think about that, that, the firstborn. That's a significant chunk of the population in Egypt. Israel was spared because God gave them the instructions to put the lamb's blood on the doorpost. So this morning, if you're the firstborn in your family, would you please stand up? So tomorrow morning, we wake up, and you are all gone, okay? It's a significant thing. I thought of it as I was thinking through it this week, and I was thinking, well, that means my dad. And I start thinking through all, you can have a seat. I start thinking through all those in my life that that would affect. This is a big deal, and this is finally what Pharaoh says, forget it. This is enough. You guys get out. So that's what Moses does. He gathers two million Israelites. This is what Bible scholars and historians estimate in regards to how many Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. About two million. That's a huge number. And God doesn't allow them to go from where they're they're at to where they're headed, the easy road. The text tells us that. It says God, instead of taking them from here to here, God takes them from here around. Because if they go from here to here, even though it's a short distance, they have to run through the Philistine country, and they'll probably end up in a war. And God says if they end up in a war, they're probably just going to go back to Egypt. That'd be too hard for them. So he takes them the long way around. Moses is stuck with two million Israelites out in the desert wandering around the long way. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been with a group of about six or more, it's about impossible to make a decision. It's brutal. And better still, I wonder about you this morning. What did it take you to get here? What did you have to go through this morning to get here? My daughter... Emma is six years old, and we have a common occurrence in our house as we're getting ready in the morning, and that's the phrase, Emma, get your shoes on. 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 About five minutes later and about 30 more, Emma, get your shoes on. She might have them on, but they might be on the wrong feet. That's just to get, to get out the door. And Moses has two million people to think about. Betsy Howden the one and only. She did a little research in between services. The, the city of Houston is a, is a population of about 2 million. The city of Philadelphia has a population of about 2 million. Moses is leading a city out of Egypt through the desert. I do not envy him one bit. Now, he wasn't left on his own. By day, God went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them, and by night, a pillar of fire. And there's a verse in chapter 13 that I kind of want us to remember as we think through this story. In chapter 13, verse 22, there's a verse that says, Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. After several days, Pharaoh realizes he's made a huge mistake. He's let two million slaves go. He's let their economy just kind of walk out the door the thing that all their infrastructure has been built on, he lets it just kind of walk away. 
And he realizes that's not a good thing. So Pharaoh rounds up every chariot in Egypt. And he loads them with soldiers and he goes after Moses. Now even though Moses has a head start, it's not going to be hard to catch up to two million people wandering around in the desert. And this is where we picked up this morning. The Egyptians are closing in on the Israelites. The Israelites turn over, look over their shoulder, and the Egyptians are right at their doorstep. And immediately the Israelites just start to pile in on Moses. Were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out into the desert to die? What have you done to us? It would have been better to live as slaves in Egypt than to die free in the desert. At least we had food to eat in Egypt. It's good to be reminded of something at this point in the story. There's a predictability that comes with slavery. And there's an uncertainty that comes with freedom. And that's where the Israelites are at. They, they find comfort in that predictability of slavery. And they see the uncertainty of freedom in their face and they're scared. Two million people, afraid, hungry, looking over their shoulder and seeing nothing but impending doom, looking over their shoulder and seeing something approaching that scares them to death something that they thought they had already defeated. They thought that this Egypt thing was over. We left. They're afraid and they begin questioning if they ever should have left in the first place. Now I want to say, let's not be quick to judge the Israelites. I know I find myself, when I read a lot of Old Testament stories, I find myself judging the Israelites pretty strongly. Come on, guys, wake up. Moses is leading you out. You should be grateful. You shouldn't be moaning and groaning. But their fear, their reluctance, their frustration, and their anger is coming out of a place of walking by faith. They're following a shepherd out into the desert, not knowing what's ahead. The Israelites are taking a step of faith in following Moses. They're walking by faith toward the idea that something is better. They're walking by faith toward the idea of a promised land. And oftentimes when we walk by faith, oftentimes when we follow God, we find ourselves scared. We find ourselves afraid. We find ourselves being pursued by the thing that we thought we had defeated. And if you've never experienced that, maybe it's because the enemy has no need to chase you. Maybe it's because you're right where the enemy would like you to be. Don't be quick to judge the fearful, the timid, the scared, the nervous, the ones who are crying out in confusion. Because it's easier to live in the predictability of slavery than it is the uncertainty of freedom. That's an important part of the Exodus story. It's an important part of our story that it's easier to live in the predictability of slavery than in the uncertainty of freedom. If you follow Jesus, or in the Israelites' case, as they're following God, if you follow him long enough, there's going to come a time where you wonder even if you don't say it out loud, I think my life might be better off without God. And now I know I can say that, I can, I can say that question out loud and you might be thinking, oh my gosh, that's, I can't believe you said that in the church. And so while you're polishing your halos, I'm going to talk to everybody else in the room. Sometimes we come to a point where we think our life might be better off without God. And in those moments like we see in verse 12, 
in those moments where we can see the chariots coming over the hill, the moments where we've been following and obeying and something still goes horribly wrong, in those moments where we meet things like death and hurt and cancer and heartbreak, in those moments we can find ourselves wondering if we may just be better off without God. Because surely he's not in this. Surely he's not with me right now. This stuff's terrible. Do you see these chariots? And so in verse 12, that's what Moses is dealing with. He's dealing with Israelites who have been walking by faith, but yet things are still pretty tough. So the Israelites are are sticking it to him. And then we see something pretty unique. Moses, as we know, is is kind of insecure. He doesn't feel adequate. He says he can't speak well. He's a shepherd who struggles to speak, but he says something fairly eloquent in verse 13. He says, don't be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Not only is that well said, but it takes a lot of guts to say that, especially while you're saying that the chariots are on the hill. And not just a few chariots. The text says that it was Egypt's finest and all the others. So it was the Cadillacs and the Hoopties, and they're all here, they're ready to come down on Israel. They're all there. And then Moses says, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And you know Moses has to be thinking, please God, please back me up on this. I'm saying this and it hasn't happened, please back me up, because this is a big deal. And just a quick side note, every chariot in Egypt is up on the hill, full of trained soldiers, ready to go. And Moses is making his, his pep talk. And what weapon does he have? Anybody know? He has a stick. So he's faced with an army, and he's giving a pep talk to two million people with no chariots. And he says, hey, stand firm. I've got my stick. There's an absurdity in it that you just can't help but love. Moses says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be Anybody know? Still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Now, some of you might have this in your house somewhere. I've seen people have this this phrase in their house. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. It's powerful. It's eloquent, especially coming from Moses. But it's also wrong. Or at the very least, it's just not complete. That's why it's important when you're reading the Bible to grab context. We like to grab a verse, pull it out, and put it on our wall, and it makes us feel good when we read it. But there's something that happens in the next verse that we don't always think about, that we don't always see. In verse 15, Moses, or in verse 15, God kind of gives Moses a counter. Moses says, the Lord's going to fight for you. You need to only be still. And God says, why are you crying out to me? The Lord's going to fight for you. You need to only be still. And God says, why are you looking at me? Get going. Tell the Israelites to move on. And I think that's important for us this morning. We have a tendency to stand still when we ought to be moving on. It's possible to be on the right path that God has in store for us. But what, God, what good is a path if we aren't willing to take a step? Now there's a flip side to that, obviously. 
There are times when we stand still when we ought to be moving on. There are also times when we're moving when we ought to be standing still. We often scramble about stuff we ought to be still about, and we stand still about things we ought to be scrambling toward. We often ask God to do the stuff that God has given us to do. And we often do stuff in our own strength that only God can do. As I was reading through this text the past few weeks, one of the things that came to mind, especially when I got to this part about moving and being still, well, what do I do? Do I stand still or do I move? And I couldn't help but think about when I learned how to drive. So I remember, I don't even know how, probably I was young. My dad let me drive when I was young. I lived in Kentucky. We were able to do a lot of things that you... <laughs> um, so he was teaching me how to drive, and he said, he said, John, you got Jonathan. That's what my dad calls me. He said, you have to use one foot for the brake and one for the gas. And I thought, in my head, I'm thinking, that's just ridiculous. I know better. I have two feet. There's two pedals. I have two feet. I can use my left foot for the brake and use my right foot for the gas. And so we get out on a, a country road, and my dad says, go for it. Try it. And of course, you know what happened. Left foot on the brake, right foot on the gas. The car immediately just starts jerking all over the place. I can't get it quite right because I'm telling the car to do two things at once. I think God has a hope for us to be able to hit the gas and the brake at the same time. And this is what I mean. Maybe Moses' command to just be still isn't wrong. Maybe it's just not complete. Maybe the key is that we are able to be still on the inside while we're moving on the outside. Have peace on the inside while making progress on the outside. We struggle with being still, with being quiet, with being peaceful. We struggle with moving on things that we know God is nudging us toward. So this morning, before we move on, I want us to do something. I want us to just take one minute and be quiet and be still. We're just going to close our eyes, and for one minute, we're going to be still. And while we're doing that, I want us to think about what it is that God might be moving us toward. What is it that God's moving you toward? What is it that God's moving ZPC toward? Let's take a minute.
So this pillar that has been leading the Israelites, this pillar that, as we've seen, remember that verse in Exodus chapter 13, verse 22, the pillar has not left its place in front of the people. It's led them every step of the way. It's been a visual for them. They're leaving Egypt and they can see God and they're following. And all of a sudden it moves from in front of them, behind them. And I can't help but think the Israelites are in a position of thinking, great. Now it's just us and a sea and we have nowhere to go. God was in front of us. He was leading us. And now where is he? Now we know because we know the story. He's behind them. He's protecting them. It's not always easy to see for us. Sometimes God says, follow me. I'm right here. I'll guide you along the way. And that's what we like. But there are a lot of times when God says, follow me, I'll be right behind you. And we don't like that near as much. God tells Moses to raise his staff and stretch his hand out over the sea. And I wish we could have been there to see that. Because it's unfortunate that maybe our only image of what that is was given to us by Charlton Heston in the movie Ten Commandments. Such a strong man holding his stick out over the sea. And though Moses has gained confidence in who God is and what God has for him, I can't help but think that there's a part of Moses that as he's sticking out this stick over the sea, that he probably maybe didn't look as confident as Charlton Heston. A little hesitant of, I hope this works. Because this is it. This is our only shot. They have an army, and I have my stick. There's a hesitation in that, I'm sure. Well, the rest of the story is history. We know that. The waters part, the Israelites cross, and the waters crash in on the Egyptians, not sparing even one, the text says. So the Israelites escape the Egyptian army, and now they're free from slavery. Now what? Well, as I was thinking about the story over the past several weeks, I couldn't help but wonder how an Israelite might describe the experience of the Exodus. If we were to ask them, who are you? What was, your, what was that like? Think of what an Israelite would say on the way to Canaan, having come out of the Red Sea and experienced everything that they've experienced. And I think if we were to ask them, who are you, this is maybe the response we might get. I was in a foreign land under the sentence of death in bondage, but I took shelter under the blood of the lamb. Our mediator led us out and we crossed over and now we're on our way to the promised land. We're not there yet, but he's given us his law to make us a community and he's given us the tabernacle because you have to live by grace and forgiveness and his presence is in our midst and he's gonna stay with us until we get home. God made a way when there seemed to be no way out. Now what's interesting, if you're a Christ follower this morning, how might you describe your experience? I think we might say something like, we're foreigners in this world, wrestling with sin and the slavery that it can put us in. But we're protected by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Jesus. He, as our mediator, saved us from our sin, he established his church because we should live in community 
by grace and forgiveness. His presence is in our midst through the Holy Spirit, and he's going to stay with us until we get home. God made a way when there seemed to be no way out. The Exodus story is pointing us to Jesus. The Exodus story is pointing us to the salvation that's going to come through Jesus Christ, God's Son. We miss out on things like that when we focus on waters being parted. As I mentioned at the beginning, we have that tendency to make this story insignificant when we focus on the miracle of parted waters. We have a tendency to see things as insignificant in general. I think we all have that, that in our nature. Moses' staff, his stick, was seemingly insignificant when compared to the Egyptian chariots that were full of trained soldiers. We have a tendency to see ourselves as insignificant. But this morning, God is reminding us of something. He's reminding us that we have an amazing potential for significance. Not significance for our own sakes, but for his. Significance in his story, not our own. He's reminding us that we have a significant part to play in his story. He's reminding us that through him, a stick, something small, something insignificant, can crush an entire army. That through him, an inadequate, insecure murderer, Moses, who begins to walk in faith, can lead people out of slavery into freedom. That through God, there is restoration, there's redemption, there's healing, there's grace, there's forgiveness, there are second chances, there's salvation, there's love, and the list goes on and on. We have a significant part to play in God's story. And that's the heart of why we're in this Root series. God's had a story going on for a long time. And we're a part of that. And we have a significant part to play. ZPC has a significant part to play in God's story. So may we never hesitate to follow. May we move when God would have us move. May we do so with peace on the inside, a stillness on the inside, while making progress on the outside. Amen.